Well, good morning. Welcome to church. This is your first time here. Maybe it's been a long time. You're like, wait, am I at the movie theater? Am I at the church? I smell popcorn. Popcorn setting off fire alarms. We have added some additional lighting in the past few weeks, uh, but no, the strobe lights in the balcony and around the room uh, are not added fixtures. Uh, there's something. If you've been a part of the church for our, our any of our at the movie series, you just know it's kind of kind of write a passage for the popcorn machine to set off the fire alarm. <laughs> Both services today. And if you're like, I didn't know you weren't, you, you were a little late. It's okay. First song. It's great. Um, well, hey, my name is Pastor Josh. Uh, my wife and I, as she said earlier, are the lead pastors here at Greenville First. And uh, this is one of our favorite times of the year because we dive into our At The Movie series and, uh, and we just look at what are some biblical truths that we can gather from film. And uh, this year we dared to hit 80s edition because I'm an 80s baby. And uh, I just get to pick what we talk about on Sundays. I, well, the Lord picks what we talk about on Sundays. And I just listen. And I felt the Lord say, uh, I don't know. I can't even, I'm not even going to say that. See, I didn't finish. Y'all can. It's good. If you have a soda in the room, and, uh, and we just do this to, to, to start every, every service at the movies, if you have a soda and you need to open it on the count of three, one, two, three. <laughs> Thank you for all being willing, willing audience participation. It's getting better and better every week. I said last service, I'm fully convinced that some of you just want to do that because I create space. And the moment I forget to give you that moment, you're going to do it at the most awkward point of the service. So it just kind of stays in my notes. Uh, and so anyways, drinking soda, eating popcorn, um, and that popcorn is good today. I will not judge you if you steal another bag on the way out. Uh, I will judge you if you get up in the middle of the sermon to go get another bag of popcorn to come back in. Just fair warning. Uh, <laughs> And so, anyways, today's movie, uh, last week we did Back to the Future and really talked about how do we navigate our past to get back to the future that God intends for us. And today I was told that if I did not do this movie, that uh, essentially we could not classify this as 80s edition. And, uh, and so some of you, this may be one of your favorites. For others, um, you may have never seen it. Uh, this is not a pastoral endorsement to go watch the movie, okay? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just said we had to do some creative editing to the clips today. Uh, it's great. But if you've ever seen Top Gun, uh, we are hopping into Top Gun today. So take a look at this trailer. you up against the best. Yes, sir. You two characters are going to Top Gun. I feel the need. The need for speed. For five weeks, you're going to fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You guys really are cowboys. I'm an instructor at this school. I see 20 new hot shots every eight weeks. I don't like you because you're unsafe. That's right. I am dangerous. Wild card. That was by the seat of his pants. Yeah, I guess when I see something, I go right after it. It takes a lot more than just fancy flying. Gentlemen, this school is about combat. There are no points second place. 
figured it out yet? What's that? Who's the best pilot? No, I think I can figure that one out on my own. Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis. Top Gun. Top Gun. How many of you have seen Top Gun before? That's good. For those of you who haven't, now you can see me too. It's great. For those of you who haven't, I'm going to give you kind of a little rundown of what takes place in the movie so that you can follow along today. Um, and here's what happens. Top Gun is this school that is, is derived for the top of the top Air Force pilots. Navy pilots. Y'all said you've seen the movie. I, that was a trick. It's a trick. A few of you were like, Navy, I'm just going to leave it. I don't want to be the guy that shouts out in church. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to get back to my notes. They, they have this school so that they can train in elite fighting tactics. And so the best of the best are chosen. They're sent here. And it, it follows this character, and his name's Maverick, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Tom Cruise, um, who has been featured in one other film called Mission Impossible. Uh, it's great. Um, last service, I said, he's been in a lot of movies like Mission Impossible 1 through 14. And then I, I, <laughs> I had a text message that gave me a bunch of top, uh, Tom Cruise movies. And I'm like, I can't reference all those movies from the pulpit. I want, I like... I like what I get to do. Uh, and so, but here we have Maverick and, and, and Tom Cruise, his partner Goose. Uh, they are, there are Navy pilots and, and essentially what takes place is early in the movie, uh, one of their pilots that is on the ship with them, uh, he, he encounters an enemy, kind of goes a little crazy, says, I'm done with this, walks away, turns in his wings, and Tom Cruise and Goose are selected by default to go to Top Gun school. And here's the reason that it's by default. It's not that Maverick isn't a great pilot. He is, but it's that Maverick is all about Maverick. And it follows the entire story of how he is just real arrogant, real sure of himself, a uh, little dangerous, and he begins to put others in danger as well. And so this cocky nature really makes him uh, this individual that doesn't make friends very well. And so you've got like Val Kilmer who plays, uh, he, he plays Iceman and he doesn't like him and, and all of this. In the end, Maverick has to learn a tough lesson that it's not all about him. And he comes to this point of where he realizes that he needs other people and he can't just live for himself. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today because Maverick, like many of us, we can tend to fight this, this desire within us to live for self. Now, you may be sitting there and you're like, I love Maverick because he, he, he bucks the trends and he goes against the grain and he does it the way he wants to do it. Um, can I tell you that that pattern of decision-making and that life will lead you to trying to live like a lone ranger and that's not the way God intended? God didn't intend for us to live for ourselves. God intended for us to care about other people, to walk in relationship with other people. 
And when we live a life that is self-centered and self-focused, we can begin to push away others that God has brought into our life. We watch this all throughout the movie as Maverick continues. He just pushes the limit. He's living for himself. He's trying to acquire this title of Top Gun which is awarded to the top student in flight school, and they get their name on a trophy. And so that's everything he's fighting for. And you, we could get into all the details of why he's fighting for it, because his dad was, was uh, actually a hero but wasn't acknowledged as a hero. And so he's got all these, all these things that he's fighting to prove. But it all boils down to he's living for himself and he's pushing others away. And when you and I do the same thing, when we live for ourselves, we begin to push other people away. And if we're not careful, we begin to be in this place of where we push our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, we push them so far away that we don't think there's any hope of restoring those relationships. But we're going to talk about what God can do in and through us. So the bottom line of today that what we're talking about is that we're not meant to live for self, but to live for each other. In other words, we need people and people need us. We need people and people need us. And that may be a little uncomfortable if you're like, I'm an introvert. I don't like to talk to people. I just, I, when it comes to church, we, we talk about, hey, give somebody a high five. And that's the most uncomfortable moment of your week. And you would just rather keep to your office cubicle. You don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to interact with people because it makes you uncomfortable. Well, God didn't intend for you to live on this island by yourself. God actually intends for you to live in community with other people. That's why we gather on Sundays. That's why we gather even smaller than Sundays in groups throughout the week because we know that God's mission is for us to be with each other. And I love this text, and this is kind of the, the, the frame for today. It's found, we're hopping back into Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, and you have Paul who's writing here, and he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See, Maverick, he struggled with this concept of living for himself. Maverick liked to use the terms I and me a lot more than he liked to use the terms me, or I'm sorry, we or us. Maverick was all about himself. And that's why our first point this morning is this, living for self can lead to the danger zone. Let's take a look at this clip. The high deck for this hop was 10,000 feet. You knew it, you broke it. You followed Commander Heatherly below after he lost sight of you and called no joy. Why? Sir, I had Commander Heatherly in my sights. He saw me move in for the kill. He then proceeded below the heart deck. We weren't below 10,000 for more than a few seconds. I had the shot. There was no danger, so I took it. You took it and broke a major rule of engagement. Then you broke another one with that uh, circus stunt flyby. <sighs> Lieutenant Mitchell, top gun rules of engagement exist for your safety and for that of your team. They are not flexible, nor am I. Either obey them or you are history. Is that clear? Yes, sir. 
dismissed. Now, this is just one scene where we see that Maverick's gotten himself into some trouble because he's breaking the rules, because he's trying to live for self. He's trying to accomplish what he feels like he needs to accomplish. And so he breaks through the elevation or uh, the barrier so that he can win the mission, and he begins to put other people in danger. Now, this would be a perfect time to cue Danger Zone music, but I didn't. I didn't. But if, you, if you've seen the movie, just play it with just, I, I wanted to use a clip with Danger Zone, but I, I just couldn't make it work. And so, but here's the deal. When we live for self, we get into this danger zone. We get into this, this place that is, is not ideal for us to succeed, for us to thrive because we've isolated ourselves. We've gotten ourselves away from God's plan for us. Now, you may be sitting there today and you're like, but pastor, I'm not selfish. I'm not self-centered. Just take a deep breath. Tell yourself, I will not lie anymore. I heard one pastor one time, he was, he was talking about being self-centered. And he said, if you want to know if you're self-centered, think about the last time you took a family photo. And then you went to, everybody gets to check that photo to make sure it's, it's Facebook worthy. You know what I'm talking about? Instagram worthy, if you're a little younger or whatever. I don't know. And what do you do when everybody checks? Do you check everybody else's face or do you check yours first? He said, if you check yours first, you're self-centered. Basically, we're all self-centered. <laughs> Unless you're like a parent of young children and you may check to make sure they're looking at the camera, tongues aren't out. You know, it, last week, Jensen wanted to, we were, we were doing one of Jensen's favorite songs. So Jensen, my youngest, he's age four, uh, he came to, to church to worship with us last week. And then all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see that he is sticking his tongue out at our cousin who was sitting a few rows back. And I'm like, stop it. And so then I, I like a great father, whispered in his ear, if you don't put that tongue back in your mouth, I'm going to bite it off. <laughs> so if you heard a little squeal up front, it's because Jensen, it, it was, it was, yeah, Brittany's like, stop. And I'm like, he's sticking his tongue out. But here's the thing. When it comes to kids, they, they just misbehave sometimes. So you check their picture. But really, we're all checking to see how we look and are we appropriate for what we want out there. Because at the center of who we are, we, have, we fight this battle of self. And here's the thing. Selfish ambition, being selfish, being self-centered, it is always lurking at the door of our life. It's always trying to creep in. It will, it will manipulate and compromise even the purest of motives, even in the holiest of places. I think about this in, in, in Luke chapter 22. We, we read one of the accounts of the Last Supper with Jesus. So Jesus, who is the Messiah, fully God, fully human, he is spending his last moments here on earth before going to the cross with his disciples. These disciples have been with him everywhere for every miracle, for every teaching, every, every, I, I just imagine they're all like holing up in a room together. They're, they're spending so much time together while he's on earth. And here it's coming down to the final moments of his life. Now we can read through scripture and we're like, if only I was there, I'd ask Jesus this set of questions or I'd want to do this or I'd want to do that. But you know what the disciples did? They thought it was the perfect time to argue over who the greatest was. They thought it was prime time to see where are we measuring up to each other. Why? 
Because at the center of who we are, we battle with the battle of self. Selfish ambition, selfishness, self-centeredness. So instead of spending time and moments worshiping our Savior, spending moments grieving that our Savior was about to face the cross, they're arguing over who's the greatest. And one of the holiest moments, I mean, if you think about it, even if you're here today and you're like, well, I didn't grow up in church, I don't really know how I feel about Christianity, we all have seen the picture of the Lord's Supper. Why? Because it is iconic in being one of the most religious symbols connected to Christianity, and yet, really, they're not celebrating the Savior, they're arguing over who's greatest. And we do the same in our life when we live for self. And we can look back to even the beginning, the original sin in in Genesis 3. And Adam and Eve, and what was their sin? It was a selfish sin. It was a sin and a belief that what the enemy, what the serpent was offering in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was more than what God had given them. Nothing more than selfish desire. And here's what selfishness does to us. This is the danger zone it leads us to. It blinds us. The disciples missed a pivotal moment with Jesus because they were driven by self. Adam and Eve missed an opportunity to spend eternity in the garden because of a selfish desire. And you and I, we miss out on a lot and we find ourselves in a danger zone when we continue to be driven by self. But this isn't a, hey, if, you're, if you struggle with selfish tendencies, here's the long list of things that, that are going to happen to your life. No, I just believe we move into this dangerous zone and God gives us this warning of not to do things out of selfish ambition. He's using Paul's words to heed warning to us that when you live for self, you're stepping into a danger zone. Brittany was away at a women's conference this past weekend, uh, and so uh, it, was, it was dad and the boys time. Now, Jensen, he, he is, uh, we're all made in God's image. Jensen was made in dad's image, too. Uh, and so let me just tell you, Jensen, when he found out Brittany, well, I'll give you the response of our oldest. Our oldest child, Cohen, he's seven. When he found out Brittany wasn't going to be uh, here this, for this weekend, he looked at me and said, yes, nobody's going to be here to boss us around. <laughs> She's like, what are you telling our children? I'm like, I'm innocent of all accusations right now. Jensen, he has schemed up a plan of what we're going to do. And he's like, Dad, we're going we're gonna to go to lunch, and then we're going to go play putt-putt, and then we're going to ride go-karts, and then we're going to go to the arcade, and then we're going to go get pizza, and then we're going to have a movie night and a game night and candy. And Dad tried his best. <laughs> we watched the movie and ate a lot of candy, okay? <laughs> that's, that's where it boiled down to But because Brittany was gone Saturday morning, dad got up and I'm like, hey, this is a prime time for us to, I'm going to make some cinnamon rolls and I'm not going to tell you how many you can eat. So dad made two pans of cinnamon rolls for the three of us. It's great. (laughs) There were leftovers. All right. But here's what happened. Jensen wants to be my helper. And so Jensen's like, Dad, I, I want to help you cook the cinnamon rolls. And, and he's got a little servant's heart. I love it. And so he hops up on the counter with me, and I pull the p- first pan of cinnamon rolls out, and I said, Son, don't touch the pan. It's hot. 
Okay, Daddy, don't touch the pan. It's hot. So he begins to ice those, and then Dad takes the icing from him and finishes so that there's actually icing on all five, five or six of the cinnamon rolls that are in the pan. Because if you have little kids around, you know there's like one that's got the whole glob of icing on it, and somehow Jensen's going to try and eat that one. And we're just eating biscuits with cinnamon dust in it, you know? <laughs> So here's what he does. He be, uh, Dad's fixing it. So Jensen's all excited. He's ready to dive in and he's flailing his arms. And all of a sudden, his arm, his wrist hits the pan. Ha! Ah! Fighting back tears. And I'm like, son, are you okay? I check on him. There are no burn marks in this story, okay? Um, and so he's, he's not, there's no sign of a burn. I think it just was, was really warm and it scared him. So I said, son, that's why daddy said, don't touch the pan. I know it was an accident, but just got to be careful. Take the second pan out of the oven. Jensen wants to help ice those as well, but this time he's feeling a little more ambitious and needs to get a little leverage on the pan to ice them, and he grabs the pan when he goes to ice. And of course, tears, consoling. I'm like, eat a cinnamon roll. It'll make you feel better. No children were harmed in the telling or the making of this story and this memory, okay? But here's what I want to tell you, and this is the reason I, I, I talk about this, is because Jensen was not being defiant, intentionally disobedient. He was not being disrespectful. It was by the accident of his life of a four-year-old that he got burnt twice in the same activity. In the same way, for us, I think sometimes it's not that we're living our life and saying, God, I don't need you. I just want to be selfish. But we revert back to who we are as human beings, and we slide back into this selfish nature. And even by accident, we can find ourselves pushing people away, separated from relationships, because we look up and we realize quickly that we've been living for self, not for Jesus, not for others. And when we live for self, it gets us into this dangerous place. The fix is we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. I believe the disciples in the upper room, if they had just looked at Jesus, looked at everything he had done, they'd realize this is a foolish argument for us to argue who's the greatest. We are sitting in the presence of the greatest of the greats. We're sitting in the presence of the greatest human who's ever walked this earth. Why? Because he's the only perfect human to ever walk this earth. Because he's fully God and fully man. It's not possible for anyone else to step into the life of Jesus and replace him. Fix our eyes on Jesus. See, looking to Jesus will remind us that we have nothing that we haven't received through him. Fixing our eyes on Jesus begins to look away from ourselves and, and look to Jesus is the key to walking in freedom from selfish ambition, selfish desire, selfishness, because God designed us to be satisfied fully with Jesus. And there's nothing else in this life that can fulfill our inner desires, even though we go searching. You know why we struggle with sin? It's because we're trying to fill things that weren't intended to be filled by anything other than Jesus. That's the search that we have in our life. That's why we continue to struggle back with self and we keep coming and we keep finding ourselves in this danger zone because we're trying to fill voids in our life that were never meant to be filled by anyone else other than the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, the King of Kings.
The second thing that I think we, we find in this story of Maverick is that we're meant to journey together. See verse 5 of the, the text in Philippians said, In your relationships with one, one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means a lot. And we could probably take an entire Sunday just to talk about what would it look like for us to have the mindset of Christ in all of our relationships. But can I boil it down to you? I think one of the main things is Jesus didn't walk this life alone. Jesus intentionally called 12 disciples to come and gather around. And there were many more that were sharing in life that were there for all the high moments, the low moments, all the way up to the death and resurrection, the ascension when he goes back into heaven. There were people there. Why? Because I think Jesus valued relationships. Jesus modeled how we should live our life, that we're not meant to live alone. Could he have done it alone? Absolutely. He's God. He could do whatever he wanted to. He could have come to earth and said, hey, I'm going to pick these three highly influential. I'm going to convert the hearts of the kings and the emperors and the rulers so everybody will have to follow after me. But he didn't. He did it differently. And he intentionally journeyed with people. Why? Because that's the way this life is meant to be lived. Now, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. If you haven't watched the movie, Goose Dies. Goose Dies. In this clip that we're about to watch, I'm just prefacing Goose Dies. Okay, and, and it's not to make light of it. Um, it's to illustrate that it took this moment for Maverick to realize that living by self puts me in a danger zone, that we're meant to live this life and journey together. Let's take a look at the clip. Head forward, Goose. I can't reach the ejection handle. Goose, you're going to have to punch it down. Every seat, ejection handle. Eject. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. Eject. Eject. Watch the canopy. Go! Go! Oh no! It's an emotional moment to watch Goose die if you've traveled and watched the movie. Um, I didn't remember this part happening, so it had probably been a while since I saw the movie. I kept waiting for Goose to wake up. I'm like, he's got it. No, this can't, this can't be. And it was, but it was a pivotal moment for Maverick. 
It was a pivotal moment because it was in, in, in that time, in that, in that instance, in that circumstance that his eyes were open to realize that everything he had been doing to drive for self had cost him one of the greatest treasures of his life. And it was his best friend, Goose. Why do I use this to illustrate? Because I think when we live our life for self and we're in this danger zone, we don't realize the people that God has put in our life that we were meant to journey with. And if we're not careful, it will take a tragic circumstance for us to wake up and realize this is not where God intended for me to be. See, Maverick loved Goose. He just loved Maverick more. Until he realized in this moment... And it was too late. I want you to look at your neighbor this morning. Say, neighbor. Come on, we can do this together. Neighbor, we need each other. Now look at the neighbor that you really don't feel that way about. And if it's your spouse, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Say, we need each other. See, if you didn't look at your spouse first... I just set you up for a sweet moment and you just like swung and missed. Those are hard words to say sometimes. To look at someone and say, we need each other and we're better together and I need you to help me on this journey. I need you to be my goose and not the animal, the character, okay? (laughs) See, this is our mission as a church is that we're to journey with you from where you are to where Jesus wants you to be. Why? Because we don't believe that God intended for us to walk alone. We actually believe that we're better together. I actually think that joy is best experienced in the company of other people. And if you don't believe that, try throwing yourself a birthday party by yourself. (laughs) Okay, none of us want to hop on the saddle at whatever restaurant and be embarrassed Some of you probably do. I mean, let's just, there's one in every room. But we don't want to celebrate by ourselves. Sometimes we may feel like we want to cry by ourselves. But the moment I'm overwhelmed with emotions, I really want, I want my wife to be there with me. I, I want my friends to share in that moment. Because I believe that we're better together. I don't believe God intended for us to journey in this life alone. See, I believe that you or someone else for you could be instrumental towards you taking a step in the direction God wants you to take. See, I I think we may hit moments, and maybe you haven't had one of these, or maybe you have, maybe you're in one right now, where we begin to question and struggle in our faith. But I believe that if, if we have gooses in our plane of life, Goose's job was to make sure there wasn't stuff in the blind spot, to make sure that they put their eyes on the enemy attacks. That was his role. So when I'm struggling in my faith, I need Goose that's going to encourage me with something Goose says or something Goose does so that I can keep believing. See, when I'm going through a struggle in my marriage, maybe, and I have other couples that we're on this journey together, why are we on this journey together? So that we can encourage others to keep believing that there is hope. 
I've watched marriages that if I put everything that had happened in their relationship, you'd be like, they've been divorced for a long time, yet they put God back at the center, had other people around them, and somehow, some way, God delivered them. Why? Because we're supposed to journey together, and it may be that relationship that is the voice that we need to realize that we can make it and we can keep believing. See, we as a church, we believe in journeying together. And some of us, I, I just, I'm going to say this, some of us, I think, get this a little more than others. But as pastor, I've been so proud this week to watch our church step up and love on new parents who just delivered a baby at the hospital for the first time. Say, hey, how can, we, how can we love on you? How can we provide a meal? How can we serve your family during this time? I've watched family. We've had families walking through grief and navigating the loss of a loved one. And our church family just rounds them up and says, hey, we're going to love on you. We're going to be there for you. We're going to surround you. Why? Because we're not meant to walk this journey alone. Had people walking through medical procedures. Church surrounds them, loves on them. Why? Because we're not supposed to do this alone. And I'm so proud of our church when I watch us serve and love that way. And if you're here today and you're like, well, I did some of those things and I didn't, I, I did. Well, are you in, connected in relationship? And I'm not going to camp there too long because I don't want to give you a guilt trip right now this morning. But can I tell you, we had, we had one of the couples caught me in the lobby this morning. They said, Pastor, we're just so encouraged. We felt like this is, this is what, what God's been speaking to us in our, in our home, that we've got to build relationships, that, that we've got to have those five friends or those people that we could call in the middle of the night. We need those people. And they'd moved from another town, just uprooted and landed here. And I said, can I tell you, like, y'all are doing the right. They didn't waste time in hopping to a small group. They haven't wasted time building relationships. You know why? Because friendly people make friends. If you don't have any friends, ask yourself how friendly you've been lately. Back to my notes. <laughs> Our job on this journey is to be a goose. See, goose's role was to look out for danger to help strategize, to keep them navigated. Sometimes operating is a co-pilot. See, we need people and people need us. We're meant to journey together. First Samuel chapter 23, we find King David, who is a great king in the Old Testament, probably the most famous king ever. And King David, he's struggling. Why? Because Saul's still on the throne, and Saul is threatened by David because David's been anointed to be king, and so David's running for his life. And he runs this way, and God reveals that if you go to that town, they're going to they're gonna leak you out to Saul. And then he goes this way, and this town actually tells Saul where he's at. So he's depressed, he's defeated, he's discouraged. There's so much pressure, but I love what 1 Samuel 23, 16 records. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Jonathan was a goose. He got it because he shows up and he strengthens, helps David find strength in God. I can imagine him looking at David and saying, hey, God is enough. God has anointed you. God is the best option. Be strong because God has you in his hands. I don't know about you, but I've hit these moments where I need my brothers in Christ to look at me and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay because God's plan is the best plan. And God's got you in his hands. 
Can I tell you, I've talked about, if you've been here, sorry for, for, for telling, but I even have a group of pastors that I am on this journey of life with. You know why? Because there are times that I feel the pressure and I feel defeated and I feel discouraged and I need to look at my brothers and sometimes it's a whining fest because we struggle with point one that that selfish ambition just leads us and and whining is nothing more than a pity party for ourselves. But but we begin to whine, we begin to complain, we begin to talk about everything that's going on in our life and they just look and say, hey, God's got you. God called you there. People didn't call you there. God's equipped you. People didn't People didn't make you. God made you. We all need that goose in our life that's looking and making sure we're charting the course the way that God intends for us to chart the course. So the fix for this, build relationships with Christ at the center. That's why we do small groups, to create space for you to do it. Because you may show up and you're like, well, I don't know anybody. I don't like introducing myself. Great. Go to the lobby, stop by the Connection Center, they'll put you in a group. And you know what? They'll contact the group leader if they have to. We'll do whatever it takes to help you get into a group and build relationships and go on this journey with people that God intend for you to go on this journey with. You're like, well, Pastor, I'm not ready to hop into a small group yet. I don't really know about this church yet. That's okay too. Who are the relationships in your life that Christ is the center of those relationships, that you're, they're a phone call away if you need them in the middle of the night? This isn't about building our small groups for here at Greenville First. This is about helping to equip people who say, I want to follow Jesus, I don't want to live for myself, and I want to do this on a journey with other people. That's what it, 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 it's intended for. Because here's what I know, if we look at even how, uh, what is it, lions attack, they try to separate the zebra from the, from the pack, they try to get them alone, get the antelope, whatever National Geographic episode you watch, they try to isolate them because it's a lot easier to attack that way. The enemy wants the same thing. He doesn't want you to journey with others because the moment he's got you and he begins to wrap you up, he begins to, to look out and see that there are other Christians that are speaking into your life and say, hey, don't give up. Don't get distracted. Don't walk down this road. God's got you. And the last thing today is this, is that forgiveness leads to redemption. You know, the entire movie has continued to to watch Maverick as he's messed up time and time again. He's driven by selfish ambition. He's trying to prove, but Goose is dead, and he comes to this realization, I've got to change. And it's forgiveness that leads to the path of redemption for Maverick. See, Maverick, he goes and he engages in conversation with Goose's wife. He goes to his commander and his commander, I I love that there's so much hope in this conversation between him and his supervising officer, the, the training commander, because the commander looks and says, Maverick, you've got a choice to make because you've got enough points to graduate. You've got to make the decision. And I look at this, and it's Maverick seeking of forgiveness that leads to the redemptive story. Because what we find for Maverick's life, the death of Goose was the turning point of where he realized, I can't go on living for myself. I've got to journey together with other people. And now I've got to make things right. And so what does he do? He goes and he makes things right. And then they all graduate And they get called onto this mission, and they're successful. And I want you to take a look at what happens. 
Mustang, this is Maverick requesting flyby. Negative Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. <laughs> uh, excuse me, something I should know about? Still dangerous. You can be my wingman anytime. You can be mine. You can be my wingman anytime. See, this is a redemptive moment. Because that's Iceman, if you didn't figure that out. Iceman didn't like Maverick too much. Actually, right before this mission, when they're called to go off and, and fight the enemy uh, planes, he says, I don't want him to be my wingman. But something happens when we, when we fight the battle of self, when we choose to journey with people, when we choose to seek forgiveness and redemptive moments in our relationships of where we can see this story play out. See, redemption means this. It's the act of being saved from sin or evil. It's the act of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. And I think part of the reason that we don't live out the relationships that God intends for us in this life to live out is because we haven't asked for forgiveness in the relationships that have been broken in our life. I think relationships scare us sometimes because if I'm, I'm just being real, we've all been burned in a relationship in our life. We've had a friend, we've had a loved one, we've had a family member, we've had somebody that has not treated us the way that we were supposed to be treated. And so when we think about relationships, we think we're stepping into a danger zone to hop into relationship, but the opposite is true. When we avoid relationship, we step into a danger zone. Because in the same way we've been burned by relationships, most of us in the room have burned someone else in a relationship. You're like, oh, pastor, not me. Can I tell you, Scripture says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So even if you can't look at a friendship that you've burned, we sure do make a mess of our relationship with Jesus sometimes. Or if we walk that season of where we just... We weren't walking in relationship with the Lord. Well, can I tell you, that's the most important relationship that you'll ever have. 
I think the relationship with people just makes it possible for us to sustain the relationship with Jesus. And so I look, we've got to find forgiveness in others, in our physical relationships. We've got to receive and ask. We've got to give and receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is necessary. But that's just in the practical. On the spiritual side, can I tell you that forgiveness is not just relief for your life, it's for redemption. What do you mean? Well, I think so many times we think of forgiveness as just easing our guilt, relieving us from the conviction that we're walking through in life. We think forgiveness just clears our conscience. But what forgiveness does is it actually makes us possible to walk in relationship with God. Well, how do you figure? Because sin separates us from God. And so forgiveness of sin removes this barrier that's made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can walk in relationship with God the way that he intended. See, if all you want is forgiveness to ease your guilt, ease your pain, ease your conviction, you're still struggling on point one. Why? Because all that is is for myself to feel better. Myself to to not have to worry and not have to stress. But it's so much more than that. It's enjoying the fellowship with God that he created us for. Most important relationships, Jesus. The only way we get that one right is to ask him to become Lord of our life, to ask for forgiveness of our sins. That's why every week we... Say this prayer, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. Why do we do that? Because we're asking Jesus to remove the very things in our life that are separating us from him. Because God didn't intend for us to live this life alone. God intended for us to live this life with him and with others. That's the way he designed it. So if you're a believer in the room, I think you've got some questions to ask. I think you need to ask yourself the question, are my eyes fixed on Jesus? Are my eyes fixed on myself? Every year I have glasses. I go for an annual checkup to make sure my vision's not gotten worse. I think for a lot of us as believers, we've been living for Jesus for so long that we forget that we too have to check our eyes. We too have to do a constant evaluation. Am I living for myself or am I living for Jesus? Are my eyes on my circumstances and myself or are they on my creator? The second thing, I think we honestly have to ask ourselves the question, are we on this journey with other people? And your spouse is, I think after Jesus, your spouse is the next relationship. Make sure that one's right. But I think we can become even so deceived that we think if we're just, if our family's good, then we're good. But can I tell you, there are times that I need other people in my life. And if we're not careful, we just drift so far away that we've cut off everybody else. And then when tragedy strikes, something bad, goose dies, we don't know where to turn. It's because we pushed away from relationship. God intends for us to journey together. As believers, if you're an unbeliever, my prayer would be that you hop in the family because there's space for everyone. And ultimately that we would seek forgiveness. If you've got relationships that are burned and bad right now, you're practical, you're step one out of this door, call and ask for forgiveness.
you've been holding on to grudges today and you've been living life but just wounded, just try offering forgiveness and seeing what God would begin to do in that relationship. But ultimately, you've got to ask yourself the question, am I in right relationship with my maker? Am I walking with Jesus the way that he would intend for me to walk? And I'm going to invite every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed in this room. And if that's you today and you'd say, Pastor, I need to get my life with Jesus right. I need to ask forgiveness. I need to make him Lord of my life. It's simple. If that's you in the room, will you just lift your hand? Nobody's looking. Yes, see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else in the room, in the balcony? Say, I need to get things right with Jesus. Can we all repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you. Help me to love you. Help me to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate those today who have made a decision to follow Jesus? Scripture says all of heaven rejoices. So I'm just going to cue you in. If this is home, you got to get a little more excited when it comes to us talking about life change taking place. Because every Sunday we're seeing lives say yes to Jesus. And that's something I won't show up for Sundays if that's not a part of the equation. I won't put in all the headache and the hours and everything else. It's not worth it. But when eternities are changed, it's all worth it every bit of it. So can we celebrate one more time? Amen. And if that's you, whether you're online or you're in the room today, we have a resource called Following Jesus that we want to put in your hands. And you can do that by stopping by one of the connection centers in the lobby or in the courtyard or by texting the number, text made new uh, to the number on the screen. And we'd be happy to connect with you because our mission here at Greenville First is to journey with you from where you are to where Jesus wants you to be.